I like that song. I like that. That does make me want to dance. Somebody said that last week, that this was the kind of video before. Did you even watch the video? What? I know. I know. I saw it last week. There was a video. It's so good to be with you this morning and to see your faces and to even see some faces I haven't seen in a very long time, or at least one face. So good to see you today. And to see you at home, thanks for being here. I wish for you at home that we had like a panoramic view we could show you because if you have not been in this warehouse in a while, there is a lot different in the past few months. There are these separate rooms and spaces and it's very, very exciting. And if you were here, what you might see with your eyes is walls and floors and painting and all that stuff, but that is not what this really is at all. What this is is a movement among the leaders and owners here at Element to create space, to create beautiful space for growth, for development, for connection, for relationship and fellowship. And it is just a delight to continue to see the way so many in this group, in this church family, have come together to make a difference and do great things. We are continuing our lesson series here about wisdom and the idea of wisdom and, and what it means. And, and this morning, I know some of you like to kind of know what the lesson is going to be about, so I figured I would kind of give you an outline of what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about a children's television show that didn't tell you the truth. We're going to give you a crash course in the history of reason. We're going to talk about one of the greatest philosophical debates of the 20th century, and we're going to end with talking about your mom. So now you know the whole outline. I've given it all away, so sorry about that. But, but that is our flow for the next few minutes. I, I want to start by reading a couple of passages from the Old Testament. I want to start in the book of Job. Job chapter 11, beginning in verse 4. It says... You say to God, my beliefs are flawless, and I am pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you and disclose to you the secrets of wisdom. For true wisdom has two sides. Know this, God has even forgotten some of your sin. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. How can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. Now Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now keep this verse up for just a second, because I, I want to talk about it. We spend a lot of time in this group telling you to not be afraid. Talking about don't let fear control your life, don't be afraid of things. And here I am opening up this talk with this verse that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? What does that mean? 
What does it mean that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? We're going to talk about that this morning, and I hope by the time we're done, you will have a clearer sense of what that really means and how actually that fear is not to make you afraid or anxious or tense or worried, but actually to empower you to see the truth and the reality about your life. Now, to start to explain this, I want to talk about a television show. A television show that I loved and, and grew up watching, and I, I hate to be the one to break this news to you today and to tell you it really breaks my heart, but I have to inform you that Scooby-Doo lied to you. He lied to you. Now, he didn't mean to. And it does break my heart to have to tell you. Leave this up, if you will, for a little bit, because I'm going to need that graphic. It breaks my heart to tell because I loved this show when I was a little kid. Now, I grew up in a time where you couldn't watch it on Netflix. In fact, we didn't even have VCRs. You don't know what that means. But we did not even have videotape recorders where you could record things. You had to watch Scooby-Doo at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. And if you didn't turn your TV on to the right channel at 4 p.m., you missed Scooby-Doo. Now, I loved Scooby-Doo, but let me tell you, my wife Trisha loved it even more. When she was a little kid, her dad took her on a special treat. They didn't get to do a lot of special things in their family because they didn't have a, a ton of budget or money. One day he took her to the circus as a special thing. And when they got to the circus, when the show started, she realized that she was going to miss Scooby-Doo. And she started bawling and weeping. And they had to take her home to watch Scooby-Doo. That is how much Trisha loved Scooby-Doo. But let's talk about this show for a minute. And, and let's consider the format of every episode of Scooby-Doo, because it's always the same, right? So essentially, this group of kids show up in their mystery machine van, and they arrive, and there is a mystery going on. There is something going wrong, and there is clearly a supernatural force at work, a ghost, a historic figure, something going on that is terrorizing this town or community or area or whatever. Now, the rest of the episode is about Velma finding these weird, insignificant clues, Shaggy and Scooby looking for food, and Fred walking around as the only tough character ever in an action crime-fighting group to wear an ascot. <laughs> and then at the end of the episode, what you find out is that all of this superhero mumbo-jumbo that we were all concerned about it actually wasn't supernatural at all. In fact, they could pull off a mask and you would see underneath it that there was a completely logical, reasonable explanation for everything going on. And it was those meddling kids that messed everything up for this villain who was parading as a supernatural force, but there really wasn't any supernatural force at all. There was nothing that our reason and our logic couldn't sort out and get to the bottom of. Now, on one level, I appreciate what they're doing here. Because they're saying to little kids, that monster you're afraid of under your bed, it's not real. That noise that you heard 
in the hall that made you so scared? There actually is a logical explanation behind that. You don't need to be worried. It's not a ghost. I appreciate that a lot. And I do think that part of it is good for young people to feel emboldened to search for answers and to sometimes realize that the old people around you are not necessarily telling you all the truth. You need to look. You need to search. In fact, as a side note, I think this show began a trend of shows that permeated then Pixar and Disney with the idea that the adults are all morons and it's only the kids that know the answer. From The Little Mermaid to The Simpsons, it's kind of everywhere. Have you noticed? It started in 1969 with Scooby-Doo. Now, side note, that side note ended. Now, what are they really doing here? What is this an expression of? Well, you may not realize, but it's actually an expression of a uh, philosophical concept that has been in play for centuries. In fact, it started back in what we call the Renaissance, or the Age of Enlightenment, where after centuries of no art and no culture, and people living in fear of mythologies and all sorts of things, people started to say, you know what? I think if we use science and logic and reason, we can come up with some better ideas. We can see things in a clearer way, and they did. In fact, they began what was called the Age of Reason. The Age of Reason. And characters like, they're not a character, he's a real guy, Leonardo da Vinci. In fact, he was the, he was the expression of the Renaissance man because he was not only a painter, he painted the Mona Lisa, one of the most famous paintings in the world. But he created all kinds of things. He, he prototyped and had the idea for the very first flying machine. And, and he was an inventor of all types, and he thought logically and in terms of science. It was, it was really amazing. In fact, this morning, when Brenna and I were talking about this, she told me that Leonardo da Vinci actually invented the iPhone. Yeah, so that's not true. But, but he invented a lot of things and came up with a lot of incredible ideas. Now, this concept was important. And it permeated everything for centuries. For centuries, everything we thought about of how can we know things? How can we understand the truth of reality and life? We came back to the idea of, well, let's use logic. Let's use reason. Let's use science. That is the way to understand everything. And an interesting thing happened, although it was resisted at first, even within spiritual discussions and faith, even within Christianity. This idea of what we now call modernism, which is a philosophical concept, came to permeate everything about the way we understood the world, even the way we understood the Bible. Because we said, look, let's take the Bible and put it in this logic machine reasonableness and science, it's working so well for many other things. What if we put the Bible in it? What if we put the churches in it? That will sure be the ticket to us finding one clear doctrinal answer for everything, and we will have complete unity. Spoiler alert, it didn't work. It didn't work. And in fact, 
the more the church leaders and the Christian faith leaned on that sort of model, the more divided and splintered and disconnected all of Christianity became, which was so sad to see. But it wasn't just Christianity that was seeing it. It was everyone. Because we have the Spirit of God inside of us. And after a while, when we tamp it down, we start to see this isn't right. And there was a moment in history not so long ago, in the, I would say probably in the 1960s, where people started to say, you know what? This science is good, this technology is good, but it's not everything. Something is missing. Something is missing. Now, I believe if you're a grown-up and you've ever watched that show Mad Men, this is the core of that show. Because here we are at the height of technology and modernism, and everyone is miserable. Everyone. There's not a person from the youngest to the oldest and everyone in between. They are the saddest, most depressing people on the planet. Trisha has tried multiple times to watch that movie, and she cannot watch it because it's just so sad. It shouldn't be sad, should it? This is the moment where we are at the height of our modern powers. And yet, something is missing. Something is missing. Now, in that moment in history, it was almost like water coming up in springs out of the pavement that could no longer hold it, like pieces were breaking in a dam. And everyone, there was a whole countercultural movement that said, we cannot stay in this place anymore. It's not enough. Something is missing. And we got hippies. And we got Woodstock. And we got meditation. And we got gurus. And we got LSD. And we got all kinds of stuff as people were trying to pursue the very thing that was right in here the whole time. But what had happened, we had gotten, as Christians, so caught up in our modernist ideas that we forgot what was at the core of all of this. And so while the world was begging for spirituality, very often Christians and churches were instead doubling down on how men should not have hair that touches their collars and why women in pants was an atrocity. And instead of leaning in to the spiritual moment at hand, they doubled down on only morality. It makes me sad to this moment that that is what happened. And that instead of standing up and saying, we have the answer. It's right here. We instead pursued doctrine and law and fighting and division. It doesn't have to be that way. And in fact, if you are still awake and you went on that journey, that shortened historic journey with me, that after this is over, the history teacher in the room, Liza, will probably punch me in the face for oversimplifying all of it. 
you feel some of that in you too, don't you? That sense that there is more. That idea that maybe that formula that's so clearly shown in Scooby-Doo, that if we will get knowledge, then that knowledge will lead to wisdom. And that wisdom will eliminate mystery. We'll eliminate it. Because our knowledge will lead to wisdom, and that wisdom will eradicate all the mystery. And in fact, after centuries of trying to eradicate all the mystery, we instead said, we need it. We need it. We need the mystery. There is something in us that knows the world is more and we are more than can be explained with a scientific method or a formula or with logic or with reasonableness. There's more. And we see that in God in Romans chapter 11. Verse 33, it says, Oh, the depth, oh, the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? That sense that God, the reality and foundation of all things, is more than we can understand. It doesn't count out the need and the growth and development we can have and the things that we can learn together. But it points to that dimension of who we are that is more. Now, it's easy for me to kind of rant about all that like I'm an old man on stage. But what do we do about that? What do we do differently? How can we see life differently? How can we embrace more? Do we need a weekend transcendental meditation retreat? Do we need to travel to the east or sit in a teepee and have a vision quest? No, no, no. Let's, let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. This is my favorite chapter in all the Bible. I've been told on many occasions that I'm not supposed to have a favorite chapter in the Bible, that I should like all the chapters in the Bible the same, but I do, so I don't know what to tell you about that. It just is a reality. This one's my favorite. Ephesians chapter 3. Now, I'm going to spend the rest of my life going through Ephesians chapter 3, pulling out these little phrases and verses and being like, what does this mean? This is astonishing right here. I'm just going gonna, gonna to read a few verses. I'm going to pick one today. Because if I picked more than one, we'd be here all day. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now keep verse 19 up there. 
You know what phrase I care about here, don't you? This love that surpasses knowledge. A love that surpasses knowledge. What does that mean? What's that about? That's a nice poetic thing to say, but what is the idea of a love that surpasses knowledge that is so wide and deep and high that it's almost ingraspable, that it's not understandable? I'm going to ask you a question. You can answer this question out loud. Do you love your mom? Good answer. I love my mom too. Now, I'm going to ask you another question. Don't answer this question out loud. Just think about it in your head. How would you prove to someone that you loved your mom? Just think. How would you prove to someone that you love your mom? Now, if you say, well, I could prove it by telling you about the nice things I say and do for my mom. Yeah, but I could then say, yeah, but you do some of that because she feeds you and gives you clothes. And if you're not nice to her, she will sit you in your room and give you gruel. Now, the other thing I could say is that sometimes you don't speak with love to your mom. Sometimes you don't act with love to your mom. Sometimes your behavior looks hateful and angry and frustrated and disobedient. Does that mean you don't love your mom? Nope. Even in those moments, you still love your mom. So I can't look at your behavior, your actions, your words, your deeds, and know whether or not you love your mom. I can't prove it. And neither can you. But you know it's true, don't you? You know it. You know that you love your mom. And even more than that, you know that your mom loves you. You know it. You know that your mom loves you. In fact, here's an interesting reality. On the day that you were born, that was a moment when physically, in the things that we can see and touch and prove and understand about your physical body, that was the day that you came into being physically in all the ways that we can touch and prove. But also, on the day that you were born, or maybe it wasn't that day, Maybe it was the day where for the first time you came to live and be connected with the family that would love you for your life. In that moment, on that day, your mother spoke your name for the first time. And when she did, she smiled. She smiled. And that is the day that you came into existence. That was the day that you were really born. That was the day where you started to be loved into being. Not just in your physical body, 
but in a deeper presence of who you are and what God made you that I cannot see or touch or prove and that part of you that will never die, that will never go away, that will never disappear from the earth. This is the love that surpasses knowledge. And it's a mystery. My friends, it's a mystery. That you love, that you are loved, and that that love defines you at the deepest level. It's who you are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this chapter that we're so fond of reading at weddings and other places, it is a chapter that talks about love. There is a specific phrase in there that says, where there is knowledge, it will pass away. It will pass away. But then at the end it says, now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. Greatest of these, it's love. It's love. Which makes me wonder, as we think about the mystery of love, a reality that we cannot prove and yet we know in the depth of ourself defines us and the things we care about the most. Because when I think about my life and I think about my mom and my dad, my wife and my children, my closest of friends, that's who I am. That is the foundation of me. Not this. Not this. Luminous beings are we. Not this crude matter. That's Yoda. That's not from the Bible. We know, though, that that is, on some level, another dimension a deeper dimension of ourselves. And yet it is a mystery. So perhaps there are pieces of our lives that are not built the way Scooby-Doo told you to build them, which is you get knowledge, and that knowledge leads to wisdom, and it is that wisdom that eradicates all mystery. In some things in your life, in some dimensions, maybe even the things that are most important, reverse it. It is the embracing of the mystery that leads to knowledge. That knowledge leads to wisdom. And so, as we continue in this series to talk about wisdom, about what it is, we must acknowledge that there are sources of wisdom and knowledge, that the way we know how we know and what we know and how we can be certain that we actually know it are within mysteries. And it's okay that you don't know how all that works. If you've been troubled, as I've been talking about love and mysteries, because you're like, I don't understand the physics of that, you're not supposed to. That's okay. That's all right. God, at his essence, 
is that mystery? Here again, let's read Romans chapter 11. Let's read Romans chapter 11, verses 33 and 34 again. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? That is the source. God is the source of who you are. And in the midst of all the mysteries of your life, the things that you don't understand or know, the things that trouble you and that keep you up at night, you can know with great certainty and assurance that at the core of all those mysteries, there is a love that is walking with you. And it is not just the core of what God is, it is at the core of what the universe is and what your life is. Your life is not built on this. It is built on the unknown, on the love and the hope and the faith that abides forever. That is who you are. And that is the source of wisdom. And as we move ahead and talking more in the days ahead about wisdom and what wisdom is, I think it's important for all of us to acknowledge where the real source of that knowledge and wisdom and insight comes from. Not necessarily what we can prove and understand. It is in those deeper things that make us who we are and who we are becoming that are the things of God. Let's pray together. We are so grateful, Father, that you love us, that you care about us, and that you see us. We believe that our life is more than even what we can physically see or know or prove. We believe that you are our source and foundation. You are the unmoved mover. And as life changes and we go through transitions and difficulties, we know that you are with us. And we stand on solid ground. Not because we have unveiled all the mysteries or unmasked every difficulty or challenge, but because we can rest in your truth and in the truth of love that you have bestowed upon us that surpasses all knowledge. Walk, we, we pray that you would continue to show us that and walk with us through the unknowns and through the difficulties. We are grateful to be your children and we are grateful for the mystery of Jesus that we continue as we grow up to learn and see more deeply the mystery of his death, of his resurrection, and of our resurrection that we live out every day. Give us today new resurrections.